Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGroff. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. So this morning, I want to remind you about some details regarding the place that you and I live on Long Island. The population of Long Island rivals the population of cities like San Diego, Dallas, and Miami. Individually, Nassau and Suffolk counties are in the same league as cities like Philadelphia, Sacramento, and even the Bronx for population numbers. Long Island is is more than just a suburb of New York City. It's a major population complex. Nassau County has the 11th highest medium income in the United States, and Suffolk is ranked 26 out of 3,000 United States counties. Both Nassau and Suffolk are in the top 5% in the country for the number of persons with graduate or professional degrees. Suffolk has the 21st highest labor force in the country, and Nassau has the 24th highest labor force. So Long Island, obviously, with those statistics, tells us that it's filled with the most educated, affluent, and influential people in the country. And we know that whether we realize it or not, Long Island has far-reaching effects that go way beyond what we know of in terms of influence. Um, Maybe it's no surprise we're grateful for all the uh, under 30, you know, 20-somethings and 30-somethings that have decided to stay on Long Island. But we also know that the statistic is that most of that age group is leaving Long Island. And we have seen that happen, even with us. We've seen different people come through. We've got some that have been with us uh, that are with us now that will not be with us in the next year or two. And so we have huge opportunity to bring influence that goes beyond our reaches. But here's the thing that I want us to be reminded about because in terms of those statistics, as far as our spiritual experience and our life as a church and other churches that are around us, for example, let me give you, remind you of this statistic. In a two-mile radius around our church, there are probably six, maybe seven, gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches among around 75,000 people. But listen to this because the statistics even get more daunting and really create a sense of being in the wilderness for us. Unfortunately, Long Island's also spiritually desolate, and here's the statistics. Um, There are, in our country around three or uh, 207,000, maybe 210,000 evangelical and mainline Protestant congregations in the United States serving a population of around 300 million people. So if you stay, take those numbers and work out the, uh, the ratios, that's close to one church for every 1,300 people. That's the United States. Now we come to Long Island. In the same study... 
the statistics are that there are 631 main, uh, evangelical and mainline Protestant churches in Nassau and Suffolk County in a population of around 2.8 million people. And the ratios work out this way. One church for every 4,300 people. One church for every 1,300 persons in the United States. One church for every 4,300 people on Long Island. So if you ever feel like you're the only Christian out there, if you ever feel like, gosh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of churches around, you're right. It's the truth. That's the reality of what we face. And so we are oftentimes experiencing like a wilderness. We're standing alone. And standing alone for God is never an easy task for us. Sometimes it's difficult for us to stay committed and uh, continue to desire to work through the wilderness because of what we face. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it just gets a little bit daunting. And maybe there's situations even that have happened for you at work this last week or wherever you're at, your neighborhood, where it's discouraging, you find yourself alone, you find it difficult you know, to stand firm for your faith and hang in there. And we know that even though that may be what we feel, the reality is God has not changed. The reality is that God still is going to accomplish His work even if it's uh, with small groups of people because we know God's more powerful and He can accomplish more through us than we even imagine or ask or think. So, I want us to think this morning about the action that we need to take as a small group of people combining with other churches that we connect with and opportunities that are coming before us that will unfold over the next several months. I want us to think about the action we need to take to stay committed to the call. Because if you think about it, in some ways, to face the wilderness or to face to get through the wilderness to the place that God has for us that we get to participate in. Um, the ratios kind of compare when you think about the story of the Israelites going into the promised land. Because they receive instructions from the Lord, or Moses gives instructions from the Lord to the Israelites, pick out 12 people. And I want those 12 people to go into the land and spy out the land. Now, how many of us know there was more than 12 people in the land that they had to spy? I don't know if the ratios were the same, but there was probably at least 100, maybe 1,000, maybe 10,000, maybe 100,000 people for every one of those 12 spies. So they're sneaking around through this area uh, after having spent these years in the wilderness, about 40 years at this point, and they're wondering, can we really get out of the wilderness into this place that God has promised? So I want us to look at two passages of Scripture, one that's in the wilderness and one that's right on the verge of the promised land. Numbers 13 is the first one. They're both familiar, what I, but I want to remind us and bring to our attention a couple of things. So Numbers 13, if you want to look there, we should have it up here too. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm not going to, just don't get nervous. There's 33 verses. I'm not going to read all 33 verses. You are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ready? No. So let me just go through and highlight some verses. 
One of the reasons I don't want to read all the verses is because I can't pronounce all the names. Okay? Verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. According to the command of the Lord, all of these men who were heads of the people of Israel. So the significant thing to notice at the very beginning is they're in the wilderness, from the wilderness, and they're setting out to move through the wilderness into what God has designed. So let's skip all these names and go down to verse 16. So these were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea the son of Joshua, which is interesting because at that point there's an identity shift for Joshua. And Joshua means one who saves. He who saves. You know, Joshua is, is actually a, a, a form of the name Jesus. And so there's this identity that occurs, an identity shift. And verse 17 says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. And so they go in and they find out, if you go to verse 20, you find out the land is rich Find out whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So here we are at this place where the admonition is be of good courage. So I want to say first of all, first of all to all of us, despite what it looks like, say, say to yourself, I'm going to say it right now, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Because these 12 spies were being sent into a place they'd never seen before. And I think God is asking us to go into some places we've never seen before. So we need to receive the encouragement. Be of good courage. Verse 21 says, So they went and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin. And I'm going to skip all those names again. Verse 23, And they came to the valley of Eshcol, and they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought out some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of the people of Is- the cluster that the people of Israel had cut down there. Verse 25. At the end of 40 days they returned from the spying out of the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. Paran and Kadesh. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking 40 days seems like a long time to me. I mean, time goes fast, but you know, you think about things that you're looking forward to. And if I said to you, you get to have this, but you're going to have to wait 40 days for it. The Israelites had sent out the spies. They're all waiting. Some of these spies are leaders of tribes. Some of they're all leaders of tribes. They're, they're fathers of families. And we're not talking about sending them on a jet liner, you know, jet plane somewhere, uh, you know, with everything assured that they would be back. They couldn't text. They couldn't check in. They couldn't send emails. They couldn't have FaceTime conversations with, with these spies. For 40 days, they don't hear anything as they're out searching the land. And so... They brought back word and all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. 
Now, there's a key word that shows up here in verse 28. In the English Standard Version, which we're reading, it says, however. In some translations, it says, nevertheless. So here is what we found. This is a great place. Then we all know that in particular, there were ten spies that said, however. It's really, really good. However. And uh, there are some of us that have to make a decision whether we're going to major in believing what God is saying is going to happen or be the ones that stand up and say, however, what about this? And what about that? And what about these limitations? And what about this situation? What are we going to do? How are we going to get past all of this? That's what's behind the however. So the people who dwell in the land are large, are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides that, we saw descendants of Anak there, the giants, the Amalekites dwell there, the Hittites, the Jebusites, they all dwell there, the Canaanites, they dwell there. However, what are we going to do? Verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And so what I want to encourage us with this morning, and would you encourage even everybody that is part of us, Crossroads that's not here, let's not be the ones that say, however, nevertheless. But let's be the Caleb. Let's have the spirit of Caleb among us so that when some, whether it's personal things that are going on, if you're going through difficulty and you're going through situations that are wilderness-type experiences, and we pray for you, and we, we're praying into great victory for you, and maybe you say, however, or maybe someone in the group says, I don't know if you should be praying for that because you're giving them a false sense of hope. The spirit of Caleb, it says, he quieted the people. You know what he basically said? Shut up! Shut up! You ten guys, just be quiet. Because the message you're communicating is the wrong message. So the first thing we need to remember to make it through the wilderness is to stay committed by remembering the promises. However, basically says, despite all of that, which means despite God's faithful promise that that promised land is our, it's promised land. It's called promised land for a reason. Who promised the land? God promised the land. So despite God's faithful promise, the however people said, the people who dwell there in the land are strong. Caleb says, shut up. Despite God's faithful promise, the cities are fortified and very large. The spirit of Caleb says, shut up. Despite God's faithful promise, we saw the descendants of giants, a tribe of large men there. The Caleb folks say, shut up. Despite God's faithful promise, the Amalekites dwell, the Amorites dwell. The land's taking up, there's no vacancy for us. And the Caleb people say, everyone together, ready? They say what? Shut up! And Caleb's faithful objection is a call to commitment. 
So another thing we need to do to stay committed, because it's not only shut up, Caleb quieted, he quieted the people. He said, wait, wait, calm down. A lot of cortisol is flowing through your system right now. You, you're having an anxiety attack. Just take a deep breath. Just practice your relaxation exercise. Whatever you've got to do, quiet yourself. So Caleb quieted the people so they could reacquire their resolve and commitment. I want to take a moment before we move to the next section that I have in mind this morning. I want you to bow your heads for a minute. Just quiet your hearts. Quiet your souls. Say, Lord, replace any anxiety I have about the future for me personally, for my family, or for my church. Help me to calm down and trust you. To all the doubts, to all the fears, to all the anxiety, I declare with the spirit of, of Caleb, be quiet, be still, so that I can see what God has in mind, so I can see what's next and hear you clearly. Everybody take a deep breath, breathe out, and get ready to go in the promised land. So, they get to the promised land. We know that they cross the Jordan River. And they get to Joshua 5, which we'll look at next. And as soon as all the kings of the Lord, or the kings of the Amorites, I mean, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over. Their hearts, not the people, but the people of the land, not the Israelites, but the enemy, their hearts melted and there was no longer any longer, there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. They lost their resolve. The enemies had lost their resolve. And you realize there are enemies to your success in your spiritual growth. There are enemies that are strategizing against the success of Crossroads Church. There are enemies that are strategizing against the success of God's church on Long Island. You all know that, right? And so we want to stay resolved through the wilderness because there will be a time, there will be seasons, and there will be a time, I believe with all of my heart, that the hearts of the enemy will be melted and God's church will prevail. Jesus promised that. He said, on this rock to Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we stay committed to remind ourselves of God's ability to deliver us. So whatever you, I, you and I are facing personally, or as a church, or whatever the churches around us are facing, 
Let's stay committed to remind ourselves on a regular basis of God's ability to deliver us. That's why we need one another to encourage each other. That's why we need to hear testimonies of God doing great things. Verses 2 through 8. And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. That's what all the men started saying as this was occurring. Gibeath Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who had come out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Through all the, all, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war, who came out of Egypt perished because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Now, how many of of us have heard sermons from this passage before? All right. Let me remind you of some things. Kind of put this in context. <clears throat> when, when do little boys typically get circumcised? Well, according to the scripture, according to, in the, on the eighth day. What? Second or third day in our country. In Jewish tradition, the eighth day. But right? So typically little boys experience circumcision on the second or third day. Now, why do, we, why do we do it on the second or third day? So they can go home from the hospital and hopefully they won't remember what happened. Our uh, third son, Aaron, he was, he was born and Kathy was reminding me this week that she went home from the hospital so quickly they didn't have time to circumcise him while he was still at the hospital. And so he got the privilege of being circumcised when he was how old? Like two or three months, we figured. So here it is, two or three months, he gets circumcised and Kathy was describing, reminding me, I'd forgotten about this, but I'm sure Aaron didn't forget. They took him in and then they handed him back to Kathy and he was whimpering. Now that's a little three-month-old baby whimpering. How old are the men that are being described in this passage? How old do you think they are? Teenagers. So he says they've been, it's been about 40 years since circumcision first took place. And so these men and women were born, I mean these men were born sometime in this time period of so they're 20 or 30 35 years old 
And so they obviously had to wait to be healed. And what was the purpose of circumcision? The purpose of circumcision was it was a mark that identified who they were. It was a mark so that uh, when they went into another territory, you would know these are God's people because the pagans were not circumcised. And I think it's significant to notice and remember that babies were circumcised typically on eight, at eight days, which is the number of new beginnings. And in order for us to make it through the wilderness, I don't, you know, I don't think God's obviously asking us to be physically circumcised. But if there's anything that needs to happen spiritually to our hearts that needs to be cut away, that needs to be removed in such a, sen- in such a way that it, it, it changes our identity and reminds us of who we really are, we need to, be sta- we need to stay committed to rededicate ourselves. And rededication is a reminder that God is in control. And the other thing we need to remind ourselves as we rededicate ourselves to the purpose is we need to, to stay where we're at in that time of rededication until God says, you're healed. Now move on. Because what happens when you have surgery or you have a procedure like a circumcision and you decide to leave too soon? What happens? Infection. Uh, you can, if you've had surgery, you can burst the incisions. Uh, how many of you have had surgical type procedures and tried to do something too soon after the surgery and had a setback? <laughs> Some hands went way up. Okay? And that's why when God's doing a work in us, it's so critical for us to sit tight until He says it's time to move on. So we stay committed to rededicate ourselves according to His schedule. Now verses 9-12, through 12, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. I love the beginning of that section because it says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Reproach, meaning the shame, the, the smell, the feeling, that, that, that identity of being slaves, that identity of being oppressed. He's saying to the people, you're no longer oppressed. You're set free of the oppression. You're set free. Don't, don't identify anymore with the spirit of a slave. The shame is gone. So to stay committed, we humble ourselves to his restoration plan. Restoration. Removal of shame. An understanding of who we are, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that we're no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of, of the Most High. 
and we don't have to identify anymore with our past. We don't. We don't even. Uh, we need to deal with the fact that we any desire we have to go back to our past is removed. It's completely erased because we become new creatures in who we are. And then the last section, verses thirteen through fifteen, when Joshua was. By Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I've, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Most everything that I've read, every commentator, every theologian, every Bible study, says that this person that Joshua encounters is the person, person of Jesus Christ, captain of the Lord of armies. More than just an angel. And it's so interesting to notice at the end of verse 13, the beginning of verse 14, the question of Joshua is, are you for us or for our adversaries? And what's his answer? No. I'm not going to answer your question. And I think the reason he's not answering his question is because that's the wrong question, Joshua. The right question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Because it's not about whether he gets on our side or on their side. It's about whether we get on his side. It's whether we understand what needs to be changed in our life. It's whether we understand the areas that are out of alignment in our life. It's not, Lord, would you please adjust to my personality? Would you please adjust to my family issues? my family of origin problems? Would you please adjust to my perspective of things? The answer of the Lord to that question is no. I'm not going to adjust to your agenda. You're going to adjust to my agenda. There are times throughout the Scriptures where it seems like the Lord lets people do what they're supposed to do. we got people on Long Island that have been living whatever way they want to for a long, long time. That's God's grace. He lets people have a free will to do whatever they want. But there are times where the Lord intervenes in our lives and He's going to intervene in the lives of people and He's going to do it through us and He's going to say to them, it's now time to stop. I'm going to stop your free will for a few minutes because you've screwed up your life so much and so much confusion exists because of the way that you've tried to work things out. I'm going to stop it right now. And you're going to adjust to my way of doing things. Because my way always works out. And so, I want to encourage us this morning to rededicate ourselves to something. I'm not going to ask us to do anything as significant as Joshua did, but you know, at this moment when he realized, wow, I'm on the verge of entering the promised land and leading God's people, and it says he fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. 
And the question was now the right question. What does my Lord say to His servant? And the commander said, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. I don't know about you, but it both scares me and excites me to think about having the opportunity to be in that kind of place. I think probably the reason Joshua bowed was because he couldn't stand up. I was with a friend yesterday. I was with a group of leaders and he was describing that having this Holy Spirit experience where God put a call on his life. He says, I was in a room. uh, I don't remember if he was at church or he was at home, in a room at home. And he said, all of a sudden, I could just sense the presence of God. And he said, my hands were shaking. And then I felt, like I, I felt like I should go to my knees. And so he went to his knees. And he said, my body was beginning to shake. And then he said, I realized the only thing left that I could do was to lay prostate. And he laid on the floor as God put this call in his life. That is both a frightening experience to think about. But then it's, it's the experience we all need. We all need those moments. We all need more than one where what happens is God says, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And I think there's times that we have to take our sandals off. We have to take our shoes off in faith and say, Lord, I'm trusting that this is your time and your moment. And I'm setting apart this time. I'm setting apart my life. And I'm saying, here I am. I don't know which comes first, but I do know that if God speaks, we need to respond. So I'd like you to stand with me. And I want to ask us a question before we finish up this morning with the last song. The first question I have for all of us is which spirit do we have? Do we have the whatever, nevertheless? However? Or do we have the spirit of Caleb that says that's what God says we're supposed to take? Let's take it. So let's take that question first. Just bow your heads with me. And Lord, we ask you right now that you would show in our hearts any places where we are doubting the future. That we are doubting that you have brought us together for such a time as this. And we speak to our hearts and we say, be quiet. Listen. Listen. Quit being intimidated by the future. Quit being intimidated by the things that seem overwhelming and recognize what's before us is ours to grab a hold of because God said so. And then the second question, while your heads are still bowed, I want you to ask yourself a question. 
Are you making sure in your life every day on a weekly basis as we come together of saying, Lord, would you please help me make sure that I'm stepping on your ground? That I'm standing in your place? That I'm following your agenda? That I'm doing what your purpose is? Because I know that's the only place that's holy ground. I want to be in the place, Lord, where I can take my shoes off and say, here I am. Everything is yours. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to be in that place. To be totally sold out. Because we know that's the only way we're going to make it through the wilderness to what you've called us to. In your name, amen. let's receive the Lord's blessing I pray that the Lord would do for you exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think or imagine that he would expand exponentially his grace on you and that he would pour out more peace than you've ever experienced or understood before go in the presence and the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.